What's up, Story Geeks? It's Jay. On today's podcast, we're kicking off a new serial from the Story Geeks and our production company, the Reclamation Society. In 2012, Nathan Sheck, who co-founded our production company, The Reclamation Society, with me, well, Nathan and I released Time Slingers Season 1, a serial story that we had launched in 2005. Seven years later, we turned it into a novel and released it on Amazon.com. We also submitted it to the Writer's Digest Self-Published Book Awards, and our judge gave it four out of five stars overall and said that they thought it was so compelling that it could easily be pitched as a TV show. They highly recommended that we do that. So obviously that would really felt good for us to hear. Anyway, fast forward to today, we're working on another audiobook, a full cast audiobook, meaning we have a whole team of actors working on it. It's called Death of a Bounty Hunter. And that process has been so fun that we thought we'd go back to Time Slingers and make an audiobook out of that as well. And that's what you'll be listening to on today's podcast, the first episode of Time Slingers Season 1. It won't be a full cast read, like Death of a Bounty Hunter. In fact, it'll just be me reading, but I still hope you enjoy it nonetheless. We will release new segments, 24 in total, weekly. And if you become a supporter of the Story Geeks podcast on Patreon for only $3 a month, it's only $36 a year, by the way. It's a really easy service, Patreon, just $3 a month. You unlock the full audiobook when it's completed. And I will be doing a writer's commentary on each episode as well, which is always really fun because time travel stories get crazy. You get access to that only on Patreon. If you want to hear a clip from my writer's commentary, stay tuned. And at the end of this episode, I'll play one for you. Physical and digital copies of the book are also available. And if you don't want to become a Patreon supporter, you can actually purchase the audiobook as well when it's completed. Links to all of those things are in the show notes, or you can head over to patreon.com slash the story geeks for more info. Patreon.com slash the story geeks. Without further ado, let's jump into it. Here's episode zero of Time Slingers. Episode zero takes place on July 14th, 2008 at Los Alamos National Laboratories, or LANL, in the Weapons Development Building in New Mexico, USA. Marcus Klein leapt up the stairs, two at a time, black tie fluttering over his shoulder. He reached the sixth floor, slowed to a quick stride, Stopped at the third door on the left, he pushed it open. Inside the small office, Eric Randolph hovered over a computer terminal. He threw up his hands. This is pointless. This stuff's ancient. We need a different strategy. So far, they had managed to circumvent all of LANL's advanced security systems while avoiding detection. The vacant office on the sixth floor of the weapons development building had served as their temporary headquarters, giving them direct access to LANL's network but it wasn't getting them what they needed. Klein nodded. And we've got company. Union agents are close. Let's go. Eric shut the terminal down and jumped up. They exited the office. Thunderous classical music pumped through the building's speaker system. Too loud for pleasure, the booming music proved perfect for security, keeping covert conversations protected from prying ears and sophisticated listening devices alike. L-A-N-L. Los Alamos National Laboratories, birthplace of the Manhattan Project, now a defense and sciences mecca. Hundreds of the smartest people on Earth, scientists on the bleeding edge, nutcases in any other setting, but heroes here. Klein and Eric were searching for information from one such scientist, Raul Banerjee, a physicist tasked with conceptualizing secret weapons for the United States. They had traveled back through time to 2008, Their objective? Steal all of Raul Banerjee's files and formulas associated with cloaking technology. 
After searching LANL's network for three days, they had come up empty. The clandestine approach wasn't working. Time for plan B. As Klein neared the stairwell that would lead them down to the ground floor, Eric grabbed his arm. He grinned. A rectangular piece of clay with wires protruding from the top rested in his palm. Klein shoved the rudimentary explosive back at him. What's that? Plan B. Forget Banerjee. Let's send them a message. We're not here to make a statement. We're here for information. Put that away. We're going to the source. Klein hustled down the staircase to the ground floor lobby and rushed to the front door. No sooner had he pulled it open than the alarm went off. The alarm meant lockdown. Within a few minutes, LANL's special response team would swarm the building, but they would be too late. Klein and Eric slipped outside. Eric stuffed his hands into his pockets. They're trying to flush us out into the open. Klein squinted. And so they have. Now let's see if they can catch up. Heavily armored special response team units roared past the nondescript sports utility vehicle parked at the side of the road. Inside the SUV, Hector Salazar, Union Subdivision's Timeslinger team lead, frowned. If setting the alarm off doesn't force them out into the open, the SRT should. Nothing yet, said Jack Harrington. His eyes monitored the stream of information flowing through his data pad. Wait. The subdivision team held their breath. Zion Liberation Society timeslingers had been evading them for days. But this time, the subdivision agents were closing in, and not a moment too soon. The XLS wanted classified information dating back to 2008, almost two centuries ago. Union subdivision's best guess was that the XLS was after research gathered by a scientist named Raul Banerjee, an Indian immigrant who had conceptualized the formula for advanced stealth technology, or cloaking. Introduced to the scientific community at Los Alamos in 2008, cloaking technology would become a reality about 80 years later in 2091. But ever since its inception, cloaking technology had always faced severe limitations related to the mass and size of the cloaked object. In the present time, 2147, a century and a half after the theory had been published, no one had been able to cloak anything larger than a human being. In July of 2008, cloaking's pioneer, Banerjee, had claimed that his approach could cloak an entire city. However, before Banerjee had completed his theory, he had died from a drug overdose. His undocumented formulas were lost to history, and no one since had overcome cloaking technology's limitations. XLS Timeslingers had traveled back to 2008 to contact Banerjee before his impending death. Hector and his team had to stop them. Their network connection terminated just before the alarm went off, said Jack. They're moving. Hector engaged his data pad's communicator. Keep your eyes open, guys. Nothing here, Jessica Prentice reported through her communicator. Got him, said Sam. I've got eyes on two XLS timeslingers heading toward the theoretical sciences building. That's Banerjee's current location, said Jack. You think they're just going to go ask him? Hector gunned the engine. The SUV lurched forward. Let's go find out. The theoretical sciences building had beige wood siding with green trim, a perfect blend of sophisticated design styles that only scientists and government officials could pull off. It looked like something out of a 1950s sci-fi flick. Sam darted out from a side road and met their SUV at the front of the building. They just ducked into the second door. One of them pulled a gun. Klein entered first. 
Eric followed, drawing his pistol and tucking it behind his back. Inside, four scientists turned in unison. They stared. Raoul Banerjee? Klein asked. They collectively pointed to a side door, and Klein barged through it. In the adjacent room, Banerjee stood in front of a whiteboard littered with complex equations, scribbles, and doodles. He muttered to himself, but didn't turn to greet them. Dr. Banerjee? Brushing black, curly hair out of his face, Banerjee pushed his glasses up onto the bridge of his nose and turned to face Klein. Eric shut the door and pointed his pistol at Banerjee's head. Klein shoved Eric back. Haven't you heard a word I've said? Wait outside! Eric sneered, but complied. Banerjee's pupils were the size of dinner plates, and he seemed to be in a daze. All indications were that he'd taken some foreign substance to get his brain working. Klein stepped in front of him. Advanced stealth technology. Cloaking. Is it possible for it to work on a larger scale, something the size of a small city? What? How do you... I don't... Klein grabbed Banerjee's shoulders. Does your theory solve for the mass and size of the subject? Are, are you with this, the CIA? Please, just answer the question. It's just a theory. I, I'm not sure. Tell me, Klein shook him. The door burst open. Eric held the pistol in one hand and the rudimentary clay explosive in the other. We've got company. Union agents. Klein cursed, his eyes bored into Banerjee's. How do we cloak something bigger than a human being? Banerjee peered over Klein's shoulder. In the adjacent room, Eric had grabbed one of the other scientists and was holding the gun to her head. Banerjee gaped. Klein spun. He stomped over to Eric. What is this? You're jeopardizing the mission. I'm sending a message. A message to them. The Union, said Eric. Madness flashed across his face. He stared at the explosive in his palm. Someone has to get them to pay attention. Eric, listen to me, said Klein. He lowered his voice. That's not what we're here for. We came here to learn. We need this information if we're going to make a difference. I can make a difference right now. Eric held up the explosive. The captive scientists whimpered. Klein glanced back at Banerjee. Time was running out. The Mesa's Los Alamos sits atop are laced with radioactive materials. This is where the U.S. stores a third of its plutonium, right underneath our feet. Do you understand what that means? How many lives you're talking about? Lives? Don't talk to me about lives. You'd murder your own mother to see the Union fall. Have they taken any less of ours? Klein's jaw clenched. He paused. Fine. You want blood, you can have it, but not until I get the information I need. We're not fighting the same battle anymore. Listen to you, so self-righteous. Go get your lousy data. Better hurry, though. Soon as they come through that door, I'm taking everybody with me. Klein darted back to Banerjee and closed the door. He's taking hostages. He's going to blow this place up if I don't get the information I need. Banerjee stared at the door and then nodded. Something's not right. Hector took his eyes off the small camera that had been snaked through the ventilation system atop the building's roof. The camera offered a limited view of the action inside the main room. Four scientists were visible, but Banerjee was nowhere in sight. This isn't how the XLS runs their phase travel operations. This reeks of desperation. Sam and Jessica are in position. Everything's a go. Just give the word, boss, said Jack. The SR team will be here any minute. We're running out of time. Keeping those scientists safe is our top priority. Give the order. Let's go. Jack signaled Jessica from the roof and engaged his communicator. 
Green light, we're a go. The Union subdivision team threw gas masks on. Jessica set a titanium canister of modified chloroform gas against the front door and shoved the attached tubing underneath. Gas sprayed into the main room. Hector counted to three. Crash! The door caved on the first blow from Sam's battering ram. Inside, four scientists were out cold. The XLS agent, Eric, was on his knees. His pistol lay two feet away. He gasped for breath through a gas mask haphazardly cupped over his mouth. He'd reacted in time to prevent complete loss of consciousness, but hadn't been fast enough to avert the initial effects of the gas. His fingers crawled across the carpet toward the pistol. Sam kicked the weapon away from Eric as Hector charged into the adjacent room. Banerjee, woozy from what gas had made it through, stood alone. Where is he? A bewildered Banerjee blinked. He... he vanished. What did he want? Did you give him anything? Banerjee held up a single sheet of paper. He wanted the formula. Advanced stealth. Cloaking. Who, who are you? This isn't complete. He left before I could finish. I think he scanned it or... Are you okay? Yes, but... Hector didn't wait for Banerjee to finish. He moved back into the main room. Jack glanced up. SRT is on the way. Clean the area, said Hector. Let's go. Jessica removed the memory-erasing syringes from her side pocket and began injecting the scientists. Jack stood over an inhibitor-cuffed Eric, who huddled in the corner and muttered to himself between hacking coughs. What about him? Take him in for questioning. You imbeciles, Eric wheezed. Stupid, stupid lemmings. You don't have any idea what you're doing. We're not the terrorists, pal, said Jack. History isn't going to see it that way. The XLS is made of martyrs, revolutionaries, heroes. Eric reached into his coat pocket with his teeth and flung the clay explosive into the center of the room. Jack swore. Bomb! Without hesitation, Hector dove on it. May 17th, 2147. XLS Phase Travel Operations, New London, Earth's Moon. Six, seven, eight. Klein increased the treadmill's speed. His hazel eyes focused on the room's display screen. Two headlines stuck out. Global Gazette, XLS party gaining ground despite extremist label. Federalist News. Union blames XLS propaganda for 11th riot-related death. A chime sounded, and an electronic female voice announced, Captain Bai Shui Li. Klein slowed. Admit him. The door slid open to reveal a lean man with sharp features. Bai Shui Li, captain of XLS phase travel operations, sauntered into the room. Cunning and driven, Li was a decorated commander and war hero. As the leader of the Zion Liberation Society's answer to the Union subdivision, he commanded his timeslingers from a secret base located in New London, the lone city on Earth's moon. Evening, Marcus. Up for a real walk? Klein stepped off the treadmill and wiped the sweat off his brow before nodding. The two men exited Klein's quarters and headed towards the briefing room. Any news on Randolph? Not yet, said Lee. He doesn't know enough to be dangerous. He lost it, almost got me killed, and jeopardized the mission. He's a fanatic. He doesn't belong here. So you've said, he had been a good soldier up until Los Alamos. 
His brother was killed by a Union police unit during a protest outside Sydney the day before you transferred. Wrong place, wrong time. He must have heard right before you two left. Klein stopped. I'm sorry for his loss, but I won't work alongside extremists, Captain. You won't have to. Next mission's a solo shot. Lee entered the briefing room. The doodles you brought back from Los Alamos sparked some creative thinking in tactical sciences. Banerjee really was onto something. Tactical claims they can build a device that'll cloak a small city. Lee flipped a switch. Holographic blueprints appeared over the briefing room table. Operation Yamato, started Klein. Launched this morning. Our best chance of crippling the Union and allowing the Zion Liberation Society to become a true player in world politics starts now. As soon as the cloaking device is ready, the excavation team will transfer out. It will be the largest time travel operation we've ever put together. Which means you're headed to Dallas, Lee grinned. May 30th, 2147, Union Subdivision Headquarters, Undisclosed Location, Bill Taylor and Hector Salazar. It's not optional. Colonel Taylor finished buckling his uniform and turned to leave his quarters. Just over six foot with thinning gray hair and a solid build, the Union Subdivision's commander had spent his entire career leading special ops teams. Now he ran one of the most covert in the Union, a group of time travel operatives, or as they called themselves, time slingers. Hector, also fully decorated in officer garb, followed Taylor into the hallway. Sir, the bomb didn't even go off. Taylor stopped. Did you know it wasn't going to go off? That's not the point. I... None of the hostages was harmed. The XLS got a scrap of paper that they probably won't be able to use. I confirmed that with our top scientists. And you dove on top of an explosive device to save your team and countless others. Sounds like uncommon valor to me. Taylor resumed walking. Hector fell into step. Anyone would have done it. My team, but they didn't. You did. You're acting like this is a dentist appointment. It's supposed to be an honor. It's my job, sir. I was trained to do this. It's not uncommon valor. They strode through a maze of steel corridors that connected sets of classified underground buildings. Outside the intimate band of time slingers, few knew that Union Subdivision headquarters rested deep underground within a massive mountain range. As they neared the control room, Jessica intercepted them. Her expression was grave. She saluted. Sir, the prisoner, Eric Randolph, took his own life. Taylor cursed. <sighs> we learn anything from him? Not much. Hadn't been with XLS phase travel operations long. His brother was killed in a riot just before the Los Alamos mission. May explain his erratic behavior. Too bad. Taylor rubbed his temple. Give him our traditional military burial. Sorry about the timing, Hector, said Jessica. We could always cancel, Taylor smirked. Inside the control room, time slingers and station operatives had gathered for the award ceremony. They began clapping as Hector entered. It's going to take more than that to ruin this party, hero. As if on cue, the alarm went off. Thanks for listening to episode zero of Time Slingers season one. We'll be back next week with episode one, where we'll follow Marcus Klein to Dallas and start to unravel what Operation Yamato is all about. Stay tuned. After this outro, I'll play a clip from my exclusive behind the scenes commentary where I talk about my real life tour of Los Alamos National Laboratories that inspired this part of the story. 
If you want access to the full commentary on each episode, support us on Patreon at the $3 a month tier, which is the tier that most people support us at anyway. That's over at patreon.com slash thestorygeeks. If you want to binge listen to Time Slingers Season 1, you can order the entire audiobook when it's complete. Or if you prefer to read it yourself, you can get a print or digital copy as well. Links to all those items are in the show notes, or you can find more info at patreon.com slash thestorygeeks. Episode Zero was written and read by Jay Shear, me. Nathan Shack illustrated this book and served as a story consultant, which instantly means it's 100 times better, by the way. Time Slinger Season 1, including Episode Zero, was produced by the Reclamation Society. Here's a clip from my exclusive audio commentary, and I'll catch you next week for Episode 1. It's a full military installation, so, you know, they've got military at the front gate. Um... They take all of your cell phones. At the time, you know, we didn't have, like, iPhones. We had just, like, flip phones. They took those from us. Um, the, he did let me take a notepad and a pen, which was great. And he took us around in his SUV and pointed out all of the different things about national uh, Los Alamos National Laboratories. Now, Los Alamos, the first thing you have to know about Los Alamos National Laboratories is as of that time, which was 2008, by the way, so I'm writing the story based on the tour that I was taking. Based At that time, a third of the nation's plutonium storage was at Los Alamos National Laboratories. So that's crazy because our nuclear arsenal based off our plutonium storage uh, was all there. And it's all stored um, underneath the ground and all the mesas. There's a lot of mesas. So for those of you who haven't been to New Mexico, uh, a mesa basically is like, it's like a mountain that has like a flat top to it. So there's a lot of buildings sitting on top of these flat topped mountains, basically. And uh, underneath those, there's underground stuff. Now, I didn't get to get out of the car, so I never saw any of this underground stuff. I never saw any of the plutonium. Um, but I was told about it. And they actually have even, if you go down, the guy told us if you, uh, if you have access to some of the underground stuff, they even have replicas of all of the different nuclear missiles that the United States has actually built over time, which sounds crazy. But anyways, that was there. Um, you'll notice that uh, episode 0-1, so the first installment of episode 0, takes place in the weapons development building. So... Um,